Greetings, everybody. This is Christopher Messina coming at you from the Messy Time Studios. It is a delightful, uneventful day in world history, the 10th of March, 2022. I'm sitting here in the free state of Florida, enjoying the sunshine, and I'm delighted and honored to have as a guest today, Jeffrey Tucker, who is the founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. Uh, Jeffrey, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for coming on. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, how's everything in Florida? I mean, I know it's all open, but most places are open now, more or less. But Florida, I think, is more open than others. It has been free since pretty much the end of March 2020. We had a, a brief experiment with shutdown stupidity. Uh, and after that, the governor, who amazingly enough, in these benighted times, relied upon objective data and statistics and realized, I'm sorry, why are we supposed to destroy the world for a bad flu? We're not doing that. So we've lived our lives and it has been astonishing to me to have to go to other places. It just, it's like an entirely alien universe. When I go, well, I mean, going anywhere is, is strange because, you know, even getting on airplanes, you, you know, have to mask up and everybody's, you know, this, all this uh, pretend virus control, you know, there's a new study that came out of, um, Catalonia, where they looked at five and six years old, five and six year olds, uh, five and a half, five hundred and fifty thousand uh, people examined with this, um, with with the closest thing you can imagine to a, a random uh, controlled trial, and uh, just examined two school districts, one that was mask mandate, one without, and found no difference at all in oh. the infection. I mean, and you know what's interesting about that is. Your reaction to that news is is exactly what I've experienced in the, over the last day and telling people this anecdote. They all go, oh, of course. Well, I mean, you know, for, for two years uh, in, in many parts of this country, you know, California, most of the East Coast um, and all over the world, you know, masks have been mandatory for adults and children. Even now, you can't go to a Broadway play without without wearing a mask. Why you'd want to sit in a Broadway play in a mask, you know, and, and and not see anybody's smiles. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really tragic. People have gotten out of the habit of people in these areas have gotten out of the habit of smiling. Oh, and yeah. I remember the first time I ever saw a child in a mask. And this was maybe the spring or summer of 2020 i was i was horrified i thought it struck me as child abuse immediately because anybody can look at the data and, and see that these kids you know while they might you know all get infected although i think their infection rates are slightly lower than than uh, adults but but they're of almost zero negligible yes dangerous outcomes more dangerous to a child to drive on an american highway in a car piloted by a parent than yeah. it is to catch the Wuhan virus. And it is yeah. astonishing. Yeah, and but, they, you know, and uh, I don't want to be crude about it, but they need exposure to mild pathogens as a way of preventing them from uh, suffering through outcomes from more extreme ones. I mean, that's yep. sort of the, the core insight of immunology and virology over the 20th century. We've learned this. I mean, we've known about the general principle of natural immunity for two and a half thousand years at least. But in the 20th century, we really refined our knowledge to understand that what's dangerous, there's, there's two dangers. One is exposure to, to, to viruses and pathogens that are truly dangerous to you. And, but the other danger, which is probably an even greater danger, is no exposure to any mild pathogens that, that help b- build your resilience. A naive immune system is very, very dangerous for human welfare. Oh, and yet uh, that's exactly what we apparently attempted, you know, starting in the spring of 2020. It was... Uh, incredibly dangerous and unscientific and uh, destructive, as you know. It, it has been. I'd love to touch on um, the the origin behind the Brownstone Institute because you know I came to you guys. Um, and I, I just found this whole thing astonishing. Having family and friends in Northern Italy in January and February of 2020, I was getting statistics from uh, from Northern Italy, and I was reading them. I said, well. You know, this is sad, but the average age of death is over 80. And that was with someone who already had serious pre-existing comorbidities. This used to be called life. And life expectancy in America 100 years ago wasn't much higher than 65. So the very fact that, you know, 
in a very strange way, I, I watched this happen. Yeah. People became so expectant that bad things will never happen and disease will never occur. Yeah. But we set up this false set of conditions. So anything remotely scary occurred, there was already fertile ground for politicians to grab the panic button. In 1940, even, you know, 6% of American babies born didn't make it to a year old. So by that metric, being born in 1940 was far more terrifying than catching the Wuhan virus today. And, you know, I saw a lot of that. I wrote about it and I screamed to politicians about it. I got very involved in my school board here to make sure the kids were in school. Um, and then I came upon the Great Barrington Declaration. I thought, finally, logic, rationality, wonderful. And instead, the authors of that and the signatories of that were vilified by the mainstream media and the, and the political establishment as being somehow crazy. So I'm curious you know, how, how you reacted all that, how the Brownstone Institute came about, what its goals are. Well, I, I founded Brownstone in, in, in May of 2021, and we revealed it to the public in, in uh, August uh, 1 uh, last year. And, uh, you know, our, our direct web property has been trafficked about, uh, we're at 10 million page views, but I think you could probably add a zero to that when you can include all the reprints and, and translations and everything. So it's been enormously helpful uh, to people, the Brownstone Institute's mentioned constantly in court filings and congressional hearings. Uh, the trucker convoy in Canada was was very much informed by and inspired by the Brownstone Institute, Excellent. and we're, we're continuing to hold all these people to account. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what else to do other than tell the the truth. Uh, I I know that we live in sort of a post truth age where where everything's kind of illusion, you know, and posturing and positioning and identity politics and um, having the right opinions at the right time and so on. It's not really about truth anymore, or to say, you know, and logic and, and science has just become a kind of a slogan that, that people invoke to cover, cover power. But, you know, it's easy in these times to just become cynical and say, well, there's, there's really no point, you know, but I, I, I do think there's a point. I don't know what else to do. You know, I mean, what do you do when you live in a post-truth age? You, you just try to tell the truth as much you as you can. And so, so Brownstone really was, the other thing that led me, that's the main driving force. I've, I've been fighting this pandemic uh, control stuff since, since January, 2020. Um, I quite often felt alone, like you did, you know. Um, but uh, what I've seen happen is is an enormous failure of of both parties, and um, and all the ideological perspectives. I mean, the the left, uh, uh, the mainstream left, flopped. The media flopped. The the right wing was thoroughly confused because it was Trump that pulled the trigger, and they didn't know what to do about that. I mean, that's why the right wing. And America shut up about it for, for so long until the BLM riots and so on. Um, and the libertarians, I'm sorry to report, were have just been just unbearably shabby, you know, just continuing to hold their little cocktail parties and and um, and, and, debate, and, and, and debate clubs, right. you know, while the world was falling apart. So I, uh, I started Brownstone really as a, a kind of a, a way to forge a new way of looking at things that was not left and right and party centric, but rather just sort of embraced basic enlightenment principles that freedom is important, uh, human rights are important, they should be inviolable, and that uh, our, our public health needs to be understood in light of these principles. Right. Um, and it's not limited to public health. I mean, we're, we talk about philosophy and history and economics and everything else, but um, I really needed an independent voice out there. And I, I think people are looking for that. There's so many disaffected people on the left and the right and, you know, from all over the place that are just just asking the, the question, what the hell went wrong with the world and what should we do about it? So that's that's what Brownstone's all about. I would say that probably two thirds of my writers are disaffected left, leftists, although I don't know that for sure, mm -hmm. uh, because I don't ask, right? Right. Just, doesn't matter. I yeah. There's I evaluate content. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I've developed so many new friends in this world and, and we have different points of view on a lot of issues, but you know, you don't, you don't need to discuss, you don't need to come to agreement on things like 
you know, antitrust law or something like that, when the world is sweeping to destruction, you know, you, you, you have to fight to save it. And, and that's what, that's what Brownstone is all about. I mean, was, I felt like we needed a fresh start in light of the complete failure yep. of yep. so many universities and think tanks, and media outlets Madness. and Madness. Good, good public health offices and governments, you know, it's a, and all over the world, the, the failure was so grim that I, I just felt like we needed a fresh start. And it is beautiful. We are, in some senses, um, a good example of convergent evolution, because that's why we set up SC Times, whose slogan is, we're here to enlighten pain. <laughs> yeah, the, we, it was another old friend of mine from college, also a kind of Wall Street uh, uh, denizen. And we were just looking at all this absolute insanity. And both of our careers have been about cutting through complexity and explaining things clearly to people, whether clients or whomever. So that's exactly what we did. We, we come up with a, a funnier name, certainly. Institute sounds more serious. Uh, but we, and we tried to go about it in a, in a kind of uh, oral way. Uh, and it's been, it's been fascinating, the response we've gotten, because um, it is absolutely terrifying, the number of people in this country, the number of, of intelligent people who understand how insane this is across medicine, finance, just general people who understand statistics. And to me, I don't care about literacy tests for voting. I would like to have a statistics test for members of Congress. You're like, you're not allowed to take your seat until you can pass a course in basic statistics. The nation would be better for it. Um, but we were sh sharing this stuff. The number of people that wouldn't come on the show because they're worried they, that their jobs would suffer mm. is horrifying, right? Absolutely horrifying. And so it tended to be folks who either, you know, no longer dependent upon an employer for their income. So they were therefore, you know, unable to be affected by that. Yeah, retired um, or whatever. Yeah, Retired or just, yeah, or, or those who were just brave enough and just didn't care and said, I'm going to have a conversation about something about policy, not pretending to be anything but a reasonably informed, intelligent American citizen who's supposed to debate these things as we are supposed to be a, a self-governing republic. Um, and we've had a lot of those and it's been, it's been a great success. And the, the thing I found most, most bizarre, and I, I'm convinced that for centuries to come, people are going to write PhD dissertations on the great Wuhan panic of 2020 through hopefully 2022, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't go much further, um, across many disciplines. Like how did everyone go so completely insane? And more importantly, well, actually not more importantly, this is the part that was exactly about conformity. Why did the American mainstream media feel the need to go out of their way to spend their time attacking North Dakota, Sweden, and Florida? Like what was so important to you? If you're worried about your health and your state is doing what you think matters to keep you safe, why are you so preoccupied with what we in Florida are doing or people in Scandinavia are doing? because it had nothing to do with actual physical public health. It was purely about control and social reorganization, in my opinion. And so that, that sort of dynamic, as you rightly point out, um, they, they are now trying to declare victory and move on, even though by Joe Biden, the candidate's own metrics, Joe Biden, the president, should resign in disgrace because more people have died of a virus under his watch than died under his predecessor's watch. He didn't make any caveats to that. He didn't say if a, if a president is Republican, Democrat, Tory, Whig, independent. He just said if a president is in office and this many people die of a virus, that president should resign. Well, I don't want him to resign because we got Kamala, but the, the, the blinding hypocrisy and lack of irony of this crowd, I have found just astonishing. From yeah, and it, it, but even, even present, uh, you know, COVID is a seasonal virus and, and, and affects people in, in a variety of different ways. I mean, uh, uh, some people, you know, my age are actually really profoundly impacted. I mean, it's a nasty, nasty bug, you know, um, but it comes and it goes and it comes and it goes. But right now, you know, they've, they've called the end into, into the war on COVID and said, you know, we're just going to treat this like a seasonal virus. It always has been, there's nothing right. better or worse about it. But, but like right now, uh, in the U.S., nationally, deaths attributed to COVID um, per million is higher than it was at the height of the panic, 
in June and July 2020 yep. um, and higher uh, now than it was in November of that same year. So um, th- there's every reason just based on the data for everybody to be locked down, just locked down now as they were then. Uh, so what's changed, you know, and it's, what's changed is, is the politics. And that is unbearably obvious now. And a real, a real scandal, I would say. Um, once, once people start to realize this, and maybe they have, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, that a, a pathogen, a very normal part of life, you know, whether lab origin or not, you know, the, this, the, the, the pathogen itself is very much a textbook virus, yep. um, that something could have been so heavily politicized and used for all sorts of reasons, I mean, one of which was probably to drive Trump out of office um, and take you know, the Senate and the House with him out and, and flip us over to one party state. That actually seemed to have worked. I mean, you know, sometimes I think that it's, it's very easy to look back and say, well, you know, there was clearly a plot and there probably was, but I think it's actually too brilliant for anybody to have come up with, you know, the oh, remote yeah. voting, for example, you know, the you can't vote in person because 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 we have to flatten the curve and you know i remember in those in those months before the election i was doing quite a lot of traveling going to the state and that's going to and taking uh, uh, flights that had layovers and anywhere i landed in my phone connected to the to the local thing uh would immediately uh give me an option to uh to get a ballot you know facebook right Wow. Fabulous. texting me going, get, get a ballot, get a ballot, get a ballot. I, I swear, I probably could have voted in, in five states. <laughs> so do you, you cast those 38 votes that put them over the line, did you? <laughs> it's, it, it is it is <laughs> sweepingly absurd. I always go back to G. Gordon Liddy, who said the two people could keep a secret if one of them is dead. So it, a, for all the people for all the people love Hollywood movies about grand plots, they don't exist. No one's that talented. Taking advantage of, of opportunistic events that occur People do that all the time. And that is kind of what we had here. Um, the- yeah. And, you know, I, 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 I just forever obsess about this. And I really, really need to drop a timeline here because I, I was giving a speech the other day and kind of marching through the dates. And I saw people frantically writing and they came up to me later and said, do you have some sort of printed timeline? Because I really need to understand this. But, right. you know, there, there's a number of dates that stand out to me. I mean, one is, is January 30th, where uh, Jeremy Farrar and Francis Collins and, and Fauci got on a private Zoom call, uh, along with the three authors of the paper that denying the lab leak and and plotted what they're going to do over the next 30 days. And we don't know what transpired, except that Farrar did say that they all agreed to talk on burner phones and to keep... Um, uh, keep government every- communications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to keep everything quiet. So there's that. And then... Yeah, there's kind of a, a blank hole. Sometime in mid-February, there's a delegation to China uh, to, for the CDC uh, to learn from, uh, yes, from China. Yes, from the ever-helpful Chinese communists. Uh, to, how, how to suppress a virus. They did virus control so well. So there was that event. And then, um, then Fauci's paper that appeared in the New England Journal of Medicine, I believe appeared <laughs> February 24th, in which he said, his old view, which is that this is a flu, maybe a little bit of a severe flu, but um, um, but everybody should just calm down. Well, by the time that paper actually appeared, he had changed his mind. Yes. And I think he changed his mind somewhere between, also he was telling the Washington Post in the third week of February that we didn't need a vaccine, that this this virus would go endemic, you know, by virtue of exposure right. and natural immunity. Well, sometime about February 27th, 28th, he had changed his mind. He had gone full lockdown. My own theory on that is that uh, this is all kind of an attempt to him of him to evade what he believed might be his personal responsibility for the lab leak. And um, uh, we know from Farrar's own account that he wrote in his own book that they were 80% certain it was a lab leak. Right. Uh, they were a little unclear about whether it was deliberate or accidental. But but uh, but that it was a lab creation. They they really had very little doubt, and so my sense of why Fauci changed his view on lockdowns is that he maybe he didn't really believe that that lockdowns would suppress the virus, 
but he thought it was kind of the best hope they had. He really needed this to stop being a pandemic because he figured he'd be implicated. Yeah, that's my that's my own theory, and that dovetails, you know, with World Economic Forum, Great Reset, you know, germ games coming out of Johns Hopkins. You know, the epidemiological community have been waiting for fifteen years to try this nonsense. Yep. So, you know that Fauci was not among them. He was never one of the lockdowns, but he flipped and uh, acquiesced. Vaccine companies at some point get involved, you know, and, and uh, now I think Fauci gave a testimony to, I have to look at the exact date, but I think it was the first week of March um, to um, uh, the Senate, to a Senate uh, health and health committee or something like that. Some equally useful body. Yeah, in which <laughs> he said, he said, uh, he used very strange statistics. I mean, he conflated the infection fatality ratio and and uh, and the uh, uh, the case fatality ratio, right? So, infections are the number of people uh, that have been exposed to the virus or carry the virus, or whatever. Cases are people who go to the doctor and are really sick. You know, you got a thermometer in your mouth, you've got an ice pack in your head, or whatever the thing is. Right. Uh, okay. So there's a difference between IF, IFR and CFR. So he. He didn't distinguish between those things. And, and the congressional testimony is very strange. He said, uh, we once thought the death rate would be 3 to 4%, but now we're thinking it's more like 1%. Okay, the death rate. Okay, there's no such thing as that. You have to specify what that means. Okay. Now, if you're, a, if you're a stupid senator, uh, what you think is, wow, 1% of Americans are going to die right. soon. Back to my point about education, about statistics as a prerequisite before you take yeah. your seat in Congress, because you could see their faces. They just turned white. And, and that was that was the beginning of 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 the, the panic. And then, you know, then the next big job they had was to try to convince uh, Trump to pull the trigger. And that that was not an easy one. Uh, they finally uh, they convinced, you know, he blocked flights from from China. Uh, so he was already kind of inclined in that direction. He was already ready to undertake draconian measures. Uh, on March 12th, uh, he got talked into uh, blocking all flights from, from Europe, Australia, and, uh, uh, and New Zealand and, and the UK, which paradoxically led to you know, the biggest uh, social closening and 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 super spreader events in American airport history at every international airport because everybody had to you know come back to the U.S. and so right. people stood in the Chicago International Airport for you know for eight hours you know shoulder to shoulder spreading the virus which again I I have no problem spreading the virus it's, you know that's okay it's, you know everybody everybody's going to get it anyway might as well get it over with sooner I don't I never understood flatten the curve it's like kick the can down the road. You know, uh, well, I love that because I've been saying, of course, like right now, I keep my own day count. We're on day 778 of 15 days to slow the spread. Yeah. And it is, it is, it is important to keep in people's minds because I was most concerned about this from a public policy standpoint because of my direct encounter with the insanity of the 2007-08 financial crisis, which was right. solely the creation of bad U.S. housing policy, solely, period. Peter Wallison wrote this great book called, you know, Bad History, Worst Policy. And keep getting the history right matters because it colors the policy going forward. Dodd-Frank, all the stupidity around destroying the U.S. financial system came out of a deliberate misdiagnosis of what caused the financial panic in 0708. Which was oh, so you're telling me it wasn't it wasn't uh, the sudden arrival of greed? <laughs> exactly. That's what I, I love. That 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 Barney Frank, who's on record saying, "Let's roll the dice a little more with this housing thing," it immediately switched in Congress. Your God does a politician will never take responsibility, right? And the media, who are innumerate and you know the, the the epitome of useful idiot fellow travelers, they all picked it up immediately. <laughs> Bankers, Bankers have always been greedy. What changed? They were greedy in 06. They were greedy again in 2010. What changed? So having watched the massive destruction of value and societal distortion that came out of Dodd-Frank, and history seems to be speeding up, whether it's because we've got electronic communications, I don't know. But I just watched this idiocy unfold in my lifetime, in my career, watched this happen. And we're doing it again. I'm just watching this madness unfold. 
And I'm screaming to the rooftops and finding anyone who'll agree. But I've now come to find like people I genuinely respect, I'm intelligent, educated, I work with. In my mind, many of them have what I call kind of Stockholm syndrome. Like you, they can't get it. They can't allow themselves to believe in California or New York that they followed insane, pointless dictates that had no validity behind them and had no utility and destroyed children's lives, including an uptick in marginal increases in suicides, which they should be forever ashamed. And they just, cognitive dissonance does not let them say, oh, I was lied to, I'm glad that's over. They will fight tooth and nail intellectually that the people in charge were doing what's best and masks worked and all this absolute insanity when presented with statistics and studies showing the exact opposite. La, 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 la. They just don't, they don't want to hear it. And that to me is disturbing from a societal perspective because it means we have learned nothing from this great colossal mess. And it will only lead yeah. to worse public policy. It's, I, I don't know. It could be. It could be another ten years before people, you know, before people are honest about what what happened to us. I, I'm always. I'm just in shock. I mean, I, I run articles every day, and I get submissions every day. But I just got a submission today that was tearing apart probably five different, you know, ridiculous studies that the CDC put put out and promoted, yeah. whether it's on masks or on you know, hospitalizations, uh, you know, uh, based on va- vaccination status, just really tremendously fake science. And the, the, they still live on the CDC's website. They're, they're obviously wrong. And I, every day I'm publishing things that are showing this and it's, it's, it's a scandal, but, I, you know, whether or not people are paying attention, I think, I think they are, but it's still, it's, it's, it's a, a minority. You're right. I think the majority you know, just still believes I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about this. You know, whether it may be utterly indifferent, they just, if life goes back to normal, who cares who takes credit for it? Right. Well, that's right. And we needed this huge distraction, you know, of, of a new cold war with Russia, you know, which is actually a very serious matter. Um, uh, A very serious matter. And, uh, (laughs) and it's, the timing, you know, is really perfect. They, they, you know, it's, you do feel a sense that you're just being manipulated, you know, to to lunge from one insanity to a, a to another. Um, you know, I think you really have to read Orwell to to understand our. our time. <laughs> I've been saying for a while that Orwell was a dreamy-eyed optimist who would never have entertained any of the scenarios as being too implausible. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know what you mean. I was reflecting uh, this morning uh, about sort of the the 40 years of that actually was more than like 70 years of relative prosperity we experienced you know with with fits and starts here and there and wars and stagflations and that sort of thing but generally you know we had since 19 since the end of world war ii been working towards a sort of a, a integrated global economy with lower lower tariffs uh, regime stability and uh, all that sort of got blown apart starting starting in 2018, and now uh, it seems like that entire post-war, uh, you know, of course after 1989 with the opening up of of all the former, yeah, it seems like the nation. end of history. <laughs> yeah, it, would, it seemed like the end of history, and then with, not. with China, China, China labor force coming online, you know, keeping inflation in check. Uh, uh, and you know, it's, it's you know allowing the dollar to be exported around the world, and uh, and allowing the Fed to pump money constantly, with cheap credit, and everything with very low impact on on the value of the dollar in terms of goods and services for producers, consumers in the United States was a kind of a luxury of the, of the time, you know, That's and 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 we didn't we didn't know how good we had it. You know, we certainly didn't know how good we had it since 1989. Um, I, I remember at the time thinking, well, this is going to be good. We've got all sorts of laborers coming online, new entrepreneurs coming online, you know, global trade, U.S. and Russia are going to be friends. You know, everybody loves freedom. China is going to open up uh, more and more. You know, it's going to become democratic. Okay, none of that became true. None. And and now we're living in a world where 
people are massively more unhealthy than they were before the pandemic. We've got, we're going to face a, a pandemic of cancer because people missed all their screenings. Uh, children missed uh, lots of their vaccinations. I'm not talking about COVID vaccination. I'm talking about like, yep. vaccinations that work, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to make the distinction properly. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, you know, we've got a public health crisis and, and a mental health crisis. At yep. the same time, we've got uh, an inflation crisis. And you know, the, the money issue is, is very interesting. You know, we've, it's been 40 years since people have, uh, it's been a long time since, yeah, it's been 50 years since we've had anything, anything like this. Um, I have the uh, vaguest childhood memories of 1979, and it was, it was complete madness. Oh, I remember my parents lining up and changing, change, swapping out license plates with neighbors' cars because you could fill up yeah. your car in New York on alternate days, depending upon if it ended in a negative, you know, an even number or an odd number. So people would yeah. switch license plates so you could fill up as often as you possibly. That was could. a federal rule. I mean, you talk about a rationing. So you know, that was gas prices, and they finally you know deregulated energy, and that you know really helped things. And and then Volcker got you know the the Fed under control. Uh, but there's you know here we are in March 2022. We we don't see any prospect for fixing this no. anytime soon. I see, I see no adults in the room, and part of why when people ask me like, why do I why do I get so exercised about policy decisions? And the like, I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, had multiple people say to me, like, I'm not that interested in politics. I said, well, to me, that's like saying you live in a tar paper shack on a beach in Florida and there's a category five hurricane coming and you say you're not interested in the weather. Well, that's nice. So great. You're not interested, but it's interested in you and it's going to come yeah. get you. And yeah. the very, and I, it's, it's important because I've become more and more convinced whether it was my, University of Chicago background or whatever, I, I'm more than more convinced that nothing is more important than getting the ideas right and getting history right. And the fact that, you know, I was even when I was going through grammar school in the 70s, the fantasy that that lunatic socialist FDR did a good thing by price controls and all the madness that he instituted instead of the fact was he extended the Great Depression. Um, the very fact that people still don't get that, that only probably a tenth of the population understands that the policies put in place were tremendously negative for the country and are still being perpetuated. So now we're getting a whole other boatload on top of them. Um, and, the, and the economy is only so resilient. There's only so much pain and taxation and rent seeking that a productive section of the economy can take before it collapses. And I'm afraid we're there. I'm afraid we're getting there. And I, it I don't feels know like we're getting how there. we end that. It feels like we're getting there right now. Officially, inflation is seven point five percent. If if anybody believes that, uh, you're just not paying any attention Crazy. Uh, you know, to, 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 to anything you buy, and that's to say nothing of producers. I I was looking at uh, the PPI just even two months ago and observing, you know, 20, 30, 40 percent increases in in production costs uh, year over year. Uh, for for a whole variety of essential uh, yes. producer, wholesale prices and for producers. And I thought, well, you know, if you, you don't have to be the brilliant economist to understand what happens, you know, when you've got facing those level of price increases on producer side, it's eventually going to hit consumers. And, and now, I mean, Americans are getting used to um, empty shelves, you know, they go to the grocery store and say, well, there's no beef today. Right. Well, there's no chicken today. Gosh, it should be nice to get some toilet paper. I guess we'll have to wait until that comes in. Um, and you remember the great toilet paper shortage of, of uh, the spring of 20, um, yes. which was mo mostly caused. Not, it wasn't it was a very interesting thing because it wasn't quite caused by uh, shortages. It, it, well, it was shortages, but it was. It was that everything had to retool. Most of the toilet paper was being made for commercial locations, which are now shut. And so the demand for domestic right. household toilet paper went through the roof. And it turns out, I mean, you could there's the people keep data on this stuff. It turns out we're going to make up some statistics, but uh, you know, twenty percent of toilet paper use was domestic, and and the rest was right. commercial. Most of the people stopped going to work and stopped going to eat. Stopped yeah, and so so it suddenly <laughs> became 90 percent of of toilet paper was used in households suddenly out of nowhere, and and it's a different toilet paper. You know, large rolls versus small rolls. It's completely different. Yep. So all the factories had to retool. So it wasn't. 
it wasn't that was the source of the dislocation. Uh, today, it really is very different. We've got supply chain issues. We've got you know uh, wood prices and paper prices going through the roof. It's it's very strange, but uh, but people have accustomed to it because they have accustomed themselves to suffering. Which is uh, because because so after strange. two years of 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 you know facing you know job loss and travel restrictions, stay home orders, Zoom weddings and Zoom funerals, uh, and uh, you know hundreds of thousands of business bankruptcies and um, and sadness all around. You know children not able to go to school. You know the parks closed, the movie theaters. You know just the life is so devastating. So now things seem better, but they're actually far worse than they were in 2019. You know, oh, by a huge amount. My 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 emblematic moment of all this madness was when Pete Buttigieg, who was a mayor of one of three cities that went backward economically in the Trump years. That's impressive. The entire country, three cities were worse off at the end of the Trump years than the beginning. It's kind of an amazing achievement. He was mayor of one of them. Knows nothing about anything. Is, is labeled the transportation secretary, goes on paternity leave for like most of his, his time in office, which arguably is a good thing. But when someone calls him out on that, he emerges, goes to California, gives a talk laden with McKinsey-esque nonsense about whatever, you're going to convene groups. Well, we didn't have to convene groups before when, when things just work, right? But you've told truckers they have to have vaccines, even though they didn't a year ago, and most of them are immune. You, you layered all this insanity on the economy and then went, I don't know what's going on. Nothing to do with me. And the best, the only concrete thing he did, I don't know if you know this, he ordered the, what were 95 ships all, you know, anchored out in the ocean off of Long Beach. By that time, it was like 130 ships. He ordered them all to go out past the horizon so people in California couldn't see them in the ocean. That was his solution, to literally hide them over the horizon, not fix no. it, not increase you know, throughput at the docks. No, 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 none of that. No, hide the evidence of the administration's incompetence was their priority. And, and we've got three more years of these clowns. It's, it is so mind-bogglingly terrifying. The no, and they're back, they're back by a media ruling class that's increasingly cartelized, and it's hard to get different uh, points of view. I uh, just wanted to pass on one anecdote. Uh, when the toilet paper, you couldn't get toilet paper in the spring of 2020, the New York Times ran an article that said, well, you shouldn't be using toilet paper anyway, really. <laughs> you silly westerners <laughs> they, they said it's just beyond belief did they, did they have they, an they alternative said, yeah the, the, the bidet, bidet. they said look look you know bidets are far far more healthy and effective and and <laughs> oh oh so this is the new york times right just put a bidet Really go and 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 pick it up in your new electric car. Yeah, pick it up and get a Tesla and get a yeah, bidet. And go get a bidet. It's gonna be fine. Right. I mean, you know, bidets, uh, bidets in America are not very fashionable. I mean, you, you see them in high-end hotels and also, you know, Newport uh, mansions. You know, but, but I mean, it's, this is the New York Times. But you know, there's the the ruling class in this country, especially that which works for uh, media, are just completely out of touch. Crazy. I mean, it got so bad in the pandemic that uh, you know the New York Times would. You know, give people advice depending on your your zip code and the outbreaks. You know, well, the street city recommends that you not travel, and that you don't gather in groups, and that you get your groceries delivered to your door. Yes. Okay. Well, that's that's very interesting because it shows that they know their readership. You know, they didn't say you should deliver groceries to those in need. What they oh, said okay. is that you should stay up. So it's entirely a Zoom class readership and completely out of touch uh, with the working class in this country. Well, the good news uh, is that's new. I mean, I, I grew up in New York and we always knew it as Pravda. Like there's no, there's no, there's yeah. nothing new there. Right. Um, well, so kind of quick thoughts. We, we, we could touch on a million things. I'm curious. Um, I, I love I love the idea you set up, Brownstone. I'm delighted you printed the piece I put up um, because I've watched big tech sign on to this madness 
just willy-nilly, like just absolute craziness. Their censorship, um, in a rational sense, is going to bring down the end of Section 230 protections on them. Enough people will be outraged by this madness. Either you act as an editorial entity and you bear responsibility for that, including lawsuits for defamation and liability, or you're a common carrier like a phone company. You don't get to be both. Yeah. And they are selectively, in LinkedIn, or I call them now LeftIn, and God knows how much longer I'll be on there. Um, probably, I finally got my data back, which is my main fight. Um, it was absolute madness. I mean, read all these insane screeds from people. Uh, and my thought to them was, because I know I've worked with Microsoft in the past, great bunch of people, right? And I don't think anyone's sitting there like in a nefarious Mr. Burns in the Simpsons way, trying to destroy the world. But cumulative stupid decisions add up. And so LinkedIn's point was, we're a business platform, business networking platform, right? You could, you could, if you're worried about, you know, monitoring content and comments and discussions you don't like, right? If, if people are getting turned off because it's turning political, it's simple. You turn off the function where people can comment on things, right? If you as a business want to post an announcement like a press release, great, you post that. And the staff currently like fretting about whether someone said the wrong thing about the Wuhan virus could review that. And if it's a basic thing, like we're having a meetup event next Tuesday at Jimmy's Bar and Grill, okay, it goes up. And if it's something contentious from the Brownstone Institute, say, uh, you say no. But, but the, the midway, the nonsense of, you know, howling, screaming political opinions in support of some goofy, woke ideology, that's all fine. You can print dozens of those things. That's great. But what I found most appalling and, and what I wrote about, obviously, for you guys was I cited CDC statistics and I was thrown off the platform for spreading misinformation. That is beyond Orwellian. I mean, that's the madness, right? When I when I asked them, I'm sorry, here's where I got that statistic from. What precisely is misinformation? Silence. Got no answer. Because there's no answer. They didn't no, like and criticizing the Biden administration. Yeah, I my friend Michael Sanger, one of the most valuable accounts on Twitter, uh, just and he wrote the book uh, called Snake Oil. It's about you know the role of China propaganda and and pushing lockdowns. Uh, very, very, he was an attorney in Florida, I think. It was a very great account. Just woke up one day and and his entire Twitter presence, yeah, I think he probably had 200,000 followers, 250,000, it was huge. Uh, just just taken down and, yeah. you know, for, for misinformation. And, you know, I get I get things taken off YouTube all the time for misinformation. And so you really had to end in post blocked on LinkedIn. It's, it's This is the new world we live in and we're certainly getting used to it. And, I mean, it's it's not in the interest, I wouldn't think, of these platforms to do this. And so it's a oh. little bit mysterious why this is happening. I mean, Jack Dorsey eventually, you know, with the CEO of Twitter, you know, just left. Uh, and the few months before his departure, he was busy posting, you know, radical uh, content, you know, uh, uh, that was clearly uh, disagreeing with Twitter. So he was trolling his own company, but he was forced out. Uh, we're we're living in a very strange time where where big tech is that all these companies began as kind of disruptive technologies with a libertarian free spirit, you know, yep. including including Facebook, you know. But the great irony, and, yeah. And now they've all just signed up to be basically agents of the state. I mean, it's so intense at this point that you do get a sense that, that the state has learned to sort of outsource itself to the private sector as a way of protecting it from, uh, from for, for court challenges. I mean, oh, yeah. the government, well, the government can't hire a bunch of private companies to search yeah. American accounts because, you know, by the time you unravel that and the time you, you file enough freedom of information, you know, requests and you get enough lawsuits, years have gone by and the executive at the NSA who authorized the hiring of the private contractors has moved on to something else by then. And it doesn't matter. In the here and now, they can seize control. And that's where Americans need to wake up. And we need to figure out a way to, to, to well, the, I don't the, know, put, put people in power who don't want to do that. Because not everyone does. The Surgeon General the other day uh, actually urged, well, he demanded, and with a firm deadline, uh, information from all tech companies are the who are the big super spreaders of misinformation out there, uh, health misinformation, I want, wanted names and accounts and yep. uh, that sort of thing. And then even provided a web link on the Surgeon General uh, website 
for for you to snitch and rat out your fans. You know this right. this misinformation. That's misinformation, and um, I I can't believe that this kind of stuff is going on. That is tolerated. This is well you know, so contrary to the to the freedoms that madness that I thought everybody in this country at one point believed in. You know, I don't, I don't care if you're left or right or whatever. We we used to all believe. Well, they've, they've damaged education for 40 years. They replaced it with propaganda, and that's what you get. You get people who can't think. You get children who believe that they should yell and scream at speakers they disagree with rather than sitting and listening to their arguments. And maybe you come away still thinking they're idiots, but the the, the Maoist brigade you know, struggle committee approach to life has taken over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's, it's appalling and insane, and, and it's, it is so astonishing to me you point out these these tech platforms that were started by kind of techno anarchists. Um, you know, I was thrown off of, of, of Twitter back when Jack was still CEO because I, I refused, despite multiple warnings, I kept sending Jack tweets because he'd just been in Myanmar humming with these great guys in the hunter. Doesn't understand why people don't like them. They're really peaceful guys. They're murdering hundreds of thousands of people. But Jack liked them because they were nice to him. So I was prodding him and saying, Jack, did, did you have the discussion with the guys in the junta about the fact there are really only two genders? I got thrown off of Twitter for declaring there are two genders. What used to be called common sense for, I don't know, all of human history until 2019, I guess. Um, and that sort of madness percolating, as you say, it would seem to be, especially for like a group like LinkedIn, right? Their entire business model is to have as many educated, competent professionals on the platform connected to one another because the data mapping around that connectivity is incredibly valuable. Like that's really valuable. And some people are dumb enough to buy the premium subscription. Great. So they get another 15 bucks from you a month for whatever, for some heightened belief that you can pester people more effectively. But the idea that you're going to irritate people enough that rationally one by one, they're going to step away you know, MySpace used to be real popular too. It's not now. Um, and the whole thing with LinkedIn has been Orwellian on, on my my behalf. Well, and it's very strange because the purpose of LinkedIn was to emancipate people from reliance on their on their employer uh, for their career prospects. So the idea then is that you develop, you're an individual by yourself and then you just affiliate with a company, but you retain. So it's a big problem before, before LinkedIn, before the digital age. If you work for a company, you know, um, you had to stay with that company because if you left, you'd lose all your contacts. Yep. Uh, your Rolodex the belonged network, to all them. That. Uh, there was, there, you know, your network uh, was gone. You had to start. Th- so every new job, I mean, maybe not for famous people, but for, for most of the bourgeoisie, every new job was was like starting over. And it was actually, you know, quite, quite difficult. But with LinkedIn, the idea is that you're, the network you, you put together, it belongs to you. And the company with which we associate is just, you know, a matter of, you know, the top line. Mutual convenience at the moment. (laughs) And and so this was the the idea and it was a brilliant idea. And I wrote articles celebrating it because I thought, you know, more emancipation from workers, you know, uh, uh, this is great. Now you can take your talents and your personal capital with you and migrate around and, and find the best thing. And it helps people get away from bad bosses and bad companies and, and lower wages and, and get better bosses and better companies and higher wages. Well, so when did LinkedIn start this purge of, its, of their, their own user base? It was, it was really intensified during the period in which hundreds of thousands of people were being thrown out of work right? because they were refusing to go along with the forced medicine as recommended, as demanded by the, by the, by their employers or the, or the governments around them. So if there are ever a time when yeah. LinkedIn could have been enormously valuable to hundreds of thousands of people, it was during that great purge of the and vaccinated from 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 education, from finance, from, from medicine. Health. The great irony. Yeah, we did a whole show where I interviewed a, a couple of nurses 
They're like, it's absolute insanity, right? Every nurse yeah. and every doctor and every healthcare professional goes into a hospital to get a new job. The first thing they do is do a blood titer for you to make sure that you're up to date on all of your vaccinations. And if you have demonstrable immunity to anything, that's demonstrable immunity, right? But they never bothered. These people who were on the front lines of COVID, who worked directly there, got it, recovered, don't need the vaccine. And the Biden administration is busy firing them en masse in a sheer display of hubristic, arrogant, totalitarian power with no rationality behind it. Mm-hmm. And I admired everyone who stood up and like, no, I'm not doing this. What's wrong with you? What are you out of your minds? It's absolutely crazy. And, and luckily, luckily, it impacted people badly, but it's, it's, it's coming to a crashing end. I mean, Advent Health here in Florida basically gave the Biden administration the middle finger a couple of weeks ago. So this is not- Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's slowly declining around the country, but they already made their point. They already got a lot of people vaxxed who, who didn't want it. Yep. Uh, we don't know that much about adverse effects. I mean, there's some terrible reports, some reports that maybe the terrible reports are not as terrible as they seem. Uh, and the other thing is I'm pretty sure Okay, I can't say this for sure. It would make sense to me that adverse reactions would be exaggerated because when you force somebody to do something, yeah, um, they're going to attribute every bad thing, the health outcome, you know, after that to the vaccines. It makes perfect sense, right? I mean, if if somebody you know forced me to you know at gunpoint uh, to to wear flip-flops for a week (laughs) and and, we're in florida those are fighting words are they flip-flops appropriate for meetings or (laughs) i'm hard hardcore anti-flip-flop you're just like anyway we respect cultural differences here on message time we don't we (laughs) don't we don't we don't cancel you because of your proper uh, flip-flop thoughts but go ahead (laughs) but if, if after after that week was over and the gun was finally off my head if things started going wrong in my life if i developed a drinking problem or (laughs) you know or or or, yeah blisters or your toe (laughs) or you know the merchant across the street doesn't wave at me when i'm yeah everything that goes wrong in my life i'm going to attribute to that bastard who put a gun to my head and made me wear those flip-flops so i think there might be an element of that going on with the vaccine i don't know i'm not an expert but well, on this, but it, it just it just points to the fact you shouldn't be forcing people to do things they no, don't want to no. do, especially. And, you know, these things, uh, the trials of these things were not uh, nearly what they should be. And, and oh. the, you know, the documents are coming out now all the time. So I don't know. I think there's a gazillion scandals here and everywhere. I was just looking at studies this morning. The half of the adult population reports massive weight gain during the pan- during the pandemic. And we will here in our, here at our house. We call it the COVID-19. So yeah, that'll joke about the freshman 15 in college. So, but on, on the, on the adverse effects, so you take, feel free to take that. I didn't trade. That's funny. Um, On the the various thing, and this, I would love to see someone go do a study because I heard this anecdotally from multiple medical professionals that when they were giving vaccines, right, there's that whole various system, the vaccine adverse effects, you know, reaction database that's been set up since 1980 by the CDC. They were present during vaccination events where there was an adverse reaction and the doctor told them, don't put it in the system. We've been told not to. Now, uh, I'm, yeah, not, to be. I'm not going to say that the plural of anecdote is data, but not one, multiple people told me that yep. enough to think that's a bizarre thing to make up. Right. Yeah, it could be it could be too low, it could be too high, but you know, uh, it's going to be years before we figure before we figure this out. And and there are people who specialize in this topic. One of them works for Brownstones, Martin Kuldorf. He's a specialist yes. in in vaccine safety. Uh, so much so that he was on the FDA commission uh, of for vaccine or CDC or FDA something. Um, but even he said, you know, I talked to him to daily about it. He uh, he's not prepared to say. Uh, yet on how this data is going to uh, flesh itself out. Right. But there's some, some things we, well, but here's the point. If you're forced to do it, uh, the, the adverse effects are far worse than if you choose it yourself. You know, I, you know, we, we have, if you get a little bit of a fever, you feel unhappy, you're going to be, miserable. yeah, but you know, I, 
you know, whenever I'm at the airport and I happen to be watching television, otherwise I would never watch that crap. But, you know, there's all these ads for pharmaceuticals and they're like, oh, here's a thing that's going to, I don't know, shrink your feet or I don't know what the thing is, whatever it is. Side effects may uh, include shrinking feet. <laughs> at the end, they, they have this long list. They read it really quickly. Okay. Death, misery, divorce, you'll be unattractive, you can't eat M&Ms. Yeah, huge list. Yeah. But you know, the idea is that, you know, okay, you're going to consumer beware. You know, you've been told. But if you really want to smell a feet, you know, you can, you can take a risk. Okay, yep. so those are risks you undertake. Uh, for the most part, these pharmaceutical companies have to bear some liability for, for bad outcomes that about which they didn't warn you, right? Heretic. So, Heretic. The, well, yeah. Careful, the Biden administration is going to hear about this. They're going to come find you, but go on. Yeah, well, so, <laughs> uh, but, but they've, but, uh, but, you know, the vaccine companies have been completely, I guess, uh, you know, prevented from any kind of liability associated with harms down to the, and it's the only way they could get the emergency use authorization and so on. So anyway, all these people defend this stuff. There's just a lot of weird things that oh. associated with all this stuff. But uh, like the other day, somebody sent me a receipt that Pfizer, a, a, a note that Pfizer had sent to the head of vaccine safety of the FDA, who who later resigned, I think her name is Gruber, resigned because, because she voted against um, authorizing boosters mm. and they were approved anyway. So she said, well, I'm out of here. Well, the, the note was addressed to her and said, oh, we're here, we're Pfizer, we're, you know, enclosed, you know, you'll see that, you know, we've got a really cool vaccine, you know, we're really anxious to work with you and get this thing out there. P.S., um, we've wired 2.8 million dollars to you not to you but to the u.s treasury right and i looked at that and i thought that kind of feels like well, it's, a, it's a filing fee it's inflation they were anticipating inflation yeah and so i i didn't know about this i didn't know about this filing fee so i tweeted it out i was like you know it's kind of strange that pfizer paid the federal government 2.8 million dollars and then ahead of the eua and people responded oh yeah it's just filing fee Okay, but but that's a that's a that's a big. That's a big here's, a good, here's a good thought experiment, and maybe this is falls into the category of too soon, but I bet the Sacklers are sitting there thinking, we didn't need to get people hooked on heroin. We needed to engineer a mass panic about a virus. That would have been a much better deal for us. We wouldn't be disgorging all of our ill-gotten gains at this point. Again, that may be too soon and an important. I don't know. You know, it, <laughs> it's 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 a brilliant. This whole this whole public panic over pathogens is fairly brilliant, and uh, because I think we had gone through about 20, 25, maybe thirty years of where where people stop paying attention in ninth ninth grade biology class, yep. and uh, there's always a kind of a deeply ignorant impulse alive in in human history that thinks that that avoidance of pathogens is always and everywhere the right thing and we we play this game uh in elementary school where some one boy comes along and says all those girls have cooties and you're like what are cooties well that's a it's better get your shot (laughs) it's a it's a it's a germ so you you know you 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 do this kind of ballet, you know, this gender-based ballet, and and second, the second, first, second, third grade, or something like that. You know, right. staying away from people with cooties. Well, that's essentially what we did um, over COVID, uh, despite all evidence. And even now, you know, uh, uh, I'm in the Northeast, and you still see people walking around all over the place with Crazy. beaks on their on their noses and Crazy. faces. And uh, and hopping out of the way when you come, you know, healthy adults. So, oh, yeah. dude, get COVID, get over it. Or more importantly, you've already had it, so relax. Well, probably, probably you've already had it. If you live in a dense urban area, you've already had it. I, I will close with That's one quick right. thought. Yeah, I, I love this conversation, but yeah, I know you've got other things to do. I we were in North Carolina, so Florida, we're free. We drove a little bit north. And, and most of the Southeast is rational for the most part outside of the mm-hmm. big cities. So we're in uh, uh, the mountains of North Carolina around Christmas of, of last year and walking in the woods and uh, um, God, who's that great American poet? Carl Sandburg. Carl Sandburg's house is, is there. It's now a state mm-hmm. or a national park. So it's huge, empty forest. We're rambling through kids, dog running around. Great. 
two people. Now we're outside, fresh air park. Two other people in this whole place of hundreds of acres are maybe three football fields away from me in the woods. And they're yelling to me. And I think they're being friendly and perhaps yelling, Merry Christmas, season's greetings, whatever. No, no, they're excoriating me for not wearing a mask 400 yards away from them outside. I was like, I can't even talk to you. If you come close this, to me. This was the most it. recent uh, uh, December? This was, this was uh, yeah, it was so uh, 2021. Yeah, so it was, it was uh, yeah, absolute madness. Screaming at me because I'm not wearing a mask 400 yards away from them outside of the National Forest. I'm like, you need help. I can't even I can't even engage in this ridiculous interaction. If you're yeah. so worried, flee that way because 900 yeah. yards. And, you know, here's the, the other thing that I think contributed to the disease panic was well, there are two things. One was uh, the absence of testing. That's the first thing you want to know. Do I have COVID? Right. And so then once the home test became people got bored with it eventually, you know, yep. but constant testing yourself do I have COVID, do I have COVID? The, the, the other thing is that that the neglect of therapeutics, you know, people did not, were not told right. how to get better when you get sick. And, and I'm sorry, but that is the number one job of public health when a new pathogen comes along. And I hope this doesn't shock you, uh, but uh, the not job of, of public health is to investigate how, if you get sick, you can get better. That's a crazy radical idea that you are, you need to get rid of those wrong thoughts, sir. The comrades committee on proper thinking will come talk to you soon. <laughs> so they didn't do that. Right. Nope. Instead they spent all of February, February plotting the lockdowns, March enforcing lock, lockdowns and then covering up for two years. We've done years. this stuff. Yeah. Thank you. And there's plenty of evidence pouring out right now that there's many very effective treatments for COVID, which is, a, again, a nasty bug. But I remember I had it knocked me flat for four weeks. It was a horrendous flu. And the doctors and nurses I wanted who called me and said, like, if you want to die, go to the hospital. At best, if you really want oxygen, we'll bring it to you. Like, but don't go to the hospital. Don't do that. And that yeah. was November of last year. Yeah, horrifying. Yeah, I, 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 I was out for, for uh, five, five weeks. You know, it's, it's, I mean, I worked the whole time, as you probably did too. But I, for me, for, for, for 14 days, I lost 14 okay. days. I, 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 I could, if, if I had been forced to stand up and have a, I couldn't, I, I couldn't. Okay, that was actually more severe. Mine was, was milder than that, but a little longer lasting. It's, it's different to do on the yeah, person. But, but, but I took, um, God, who's listening? I took ivermectin. How dare and, you? and it was, well, I'll tell you this, that after day 10, I thought this is, this is not going well, you know? And like you, I wasn't going to go to the doctor, the hospital. Oh. You know, God knows what they're going to vent you. Yeah. Uh, so, but Great I'll just tell you that, that within four hours of having taken one ivermectin pill, it was the first relief I felt uh, during that whole 10 days. That, that first moment where I felt the, the, the grip, the black, dangerous grip of that virus. And you remember that feeling that you felt like there's this black Horrible. specter, you know, just holding onto your back and invading you and holding for the very first time I felt the grip uh, slightly release. And so I'm a, uh, just based on personal experience, a huge, huge fan of ivermectin. There's many, many studies that are coming out now. And there's a, a brilliant scandal now that the very original study on ivermectin that recommended against its use was, was, was doctored by a ghost author. Um, ah, even better. And associated with the pharmaceutical company, which, which you could find out, but get this, You'll appreciate this as a as a finance professional and a, and a technical guy by looking at the metadata of the PDF. That's fabulous. They did because they, they don't know how to get rid of that. Yeah, there's nothing like the technically illiterate to just trip themselves up. Well, and, and uh, I found this the other day. Though I know you probably need to go too, but the CDC came out with a new study. What did it say? Oh, that it wasn't a lab leak. Right. I thought. Oh, okay. Uh, let me just go. So I click through, click through, click through. Um, eventually got to the PDF, looked at the, the file name of the PDF. Ah. It, it was year 2020, month five, date seven or something like that. That nice. was the file name. So 
this wasn't new. This was a study that had been going on nearly two years, you know, and the New York Times suddenly decides it's going to make that front page news. I mean, the amount of astonishing fakery in the world today is amazing. And, and, and we used to have news sources. My friends uh, who who, uh, had many friends, many American friends of mine, independent thinkers, independent journalists, uh, worked for Russia Today America, RT America. Right. And I was on that financial show, Boom Bust, uh, almost every week for the better part of four years. And I don't know what happened. Um, and, uh, and nobody's really talking. But they shut down 10 days ago. The, the entire office was closed and every single worker, contractor, everybody was fired. This is a huge studio and and wow. probably the, the fourth most popular network in the world and very, very valuable, important source of information, alternative source of information for Americans. And, you know, as an institution, to me, represented a beautiful thing. It was like, you know, the prospects of peace between the U.S. and Russia, you know, at the end of the Cold War, I thought, great. Right. Well, they shut it to completely shut down for what I, I don't I don't know who shut it down. Was it the Biden administration? Was it the Kremlin? I don't know. But. It's, you know, we're poor as a result. Yeah. All that's left is Al Jazeera. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they do a pretty good job. But Jeffrey, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. I, I look forward to p- pick, picking another more focused topic sometime and do it yeah. again. Uh, this is great. I love the work you're doing. And I think it's, it's really important that, you know, we just never give up the fight. You know, the liberty is won in every new generation. It isn't just handed to us. Um, someone I was talking to, oh, well, the, Tom Harrington made, made the great point that uh, you know, the, the, the founders came from a very literate society, right? They were self-selected people who fled Europe on the basis of ideas, and they spent a lot of their time doing what people did back then, which was read right. constantly and interact and develop a mental model of the world and all those things that go into responsible, participatory Republican government. And that experiment has foundered and it's floundered and it's 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 still here. Uh, and I just urge everyone, don't take my word for anything, right? Go do your own research. Um, but really, it's, you know, as we close every every show at Missy Times, um, turn off the mainstream media. They're lying to you. Uh, and tune into Missy Times, at least we'll enlighten Tane and we promise we'll tell you what we don't know. But Jeffrey, thank you so much for coming. Any final words or advice or thoughts? Uh, no, but I did just let me just say that I would welcome any uh, uh, support of the Brownstone Institute. You know, it's, a, it's hard to start a nonprofit. Uh, we've been a sanctuary for ideas. Uh, we're doing very important work, and I really would welcome any support that anybody can give, however big or small. Absolutely. So go to brownstone.org. Uh, a lot of entertaining, intelligent reading, and find a way to donate, 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 and support the support work. That. Otherwise, we're yeah. all drowning in bad nonsense. So, yeah. thanks so much. Enjoy the rest okay. of the day. My pleasure. All the Cheers. best. Bye bye.